Brass and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio making his fortnightly appearance on the program. It's his fortnightly appearance. He's a former Pirates beat reporter for the Pittsburgh Tribune Review and also author of Big Data Baseball, a real book called Big Data Baseball. It's the prolific Travis Sawchuk. Travis Sawchuk is the guest on this edition of the program, and as he does every two weeks, Travis Sawchuk offers us his full attention for roughly an hour of conversation. Of course, it is not uncommon for uh, Sawchuk to record these conversations from the forest glade uh, behind his uh, Pittsburgh home, a forest glade full of ambient noise of birds and other organisms like birds. Well, uh, in this particular case, we have the ambient noise, but it is not of wildlife Flora nor fauna, neither flora nor fauna. What it is instead is the sound of batting practice at Pittsburgh's PNC Park, where Travis Sochik was covering a Brewers-Pirates game, interviewing, for example, Jimmy Nelson, and where he'd interviewed previously Travis Shaw, all for his great work at Fangraphs.com. And what follows, Sochik addresses that same pitcher, Jimmy Nelson, and also that pitcher's expertise with and use of the kinetic sciences to improve himself as a major league pitcher, uh, addresses realignment and the sort of fantasy experience of projecting realignment in major league baseball. We also discuss, of course, Hardball Dynasty in the BBWAA Hardball Dynasty League, a topic uh, which is uh, very possibly of no interest to many people, of very little interest to many different people, and but perhaps of great interest to very few. Uh, and uh, also... Uh, I will say, if you're the sort of person who's interested in hearing Bad Company play over the speakers of Pittsburgh's PNC Park while the P- Pittsburgh Pirates take batting practice, this is the program designed uh, specifically for you. It is a great conversation with Travis Sochik, as it is usually a great conversation with Travis Sochik. That's one thing I will say. Another thing I will say is that Fangraph's memberships exist. Fangraph's memberships exist for a reasonable sum uh, readers of Fangraphs.com can support the great work that appears there. And for a slightly less reasonable sum, although not entirely unreasonable sum, uh, those same readers can support the work that appears at Fangraphs.com while also browsing Fangraphs without the burden of banner ads or other sorts of ads, I guess. I refer to generally all of them as banner ads. Uh, one can uh, liberate him or herself uh, from those. And also, at the same time, facilitate faster loading speeds. So it is a win-win-win. It's the uh, rare win-win-win situation. Let us now move on to the conversation that I have so thoroughly belabored. What is it? It is Fangraph Study. Who does it feature? The prolific Travis Sochik. And when does it begin? Right now. Travis Sachek, even though you uh, you frequently are uh, without even trying. Thank you. Thank now, uh, you. I, can we you are <laughs> we are not in my typical recording location. Yeah, Travis, can you explain why you're at a Dave Matthews concert? <laughs> uh, I am. Uh, it may sound like I'm at a Dave Matthews concert. Yeah. I, if your science of deduction would lead you to suspect I'm at a Dave Matthews concert, but I am not at a Dave Matthews concert. Okay, yeah. I am in an, in an unoccupied media broadcast booth at PNC Park. Okay. Uh, I came down to conduct business in the visiting clubhouse. Today. Oh, no, you're, you're there to conduct business, huh? <laughs> 
And I was looking for a, a suitable place to conduct this interview, this discussion. Yeah. Uh, typically, uh, my end takes place in the backyard of my Pittsburgh property. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I went out to the upper deck here, actually, and the speakers are blaring. So it's very loud. And now I there's six broadcast booths here or seven, and I found an unoccupied one. I'm not even sure if I'm supposed to be in here. But, yeah, uh, that's what I was going to ask. Uh, sometimes, uh, and I know in, in the, you have more experience with this than I do, and I know also that you actually have like a legitimate relationship with the people there in Pittsburgh. But I, but I never, the, the times that I've worked at a park, which are not frequent, but I have, I, I, ne- I feel welcome in zero places usually. <laughs> and I'm, I'm curious how you reach the conclusion uh, that you that you are at least... You at least will not enrage anyone by being by, by trespassing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I did speak with a gentleman who looked like he probably did not have the authority to grant me access. Uh-huh. Who seemed to think it was okay. Okay, uh, all right. <laughs> so I guess I'll hide behind uh, that. But I also I feel like I'm doing no harm here. Uh, mm-hmm. This is an unoccupied broadcast booth. I feel like I've built some political capital here. Uh, with my presence so, since 2013, mm-hmm. and I'm willing to blow it all, <laughs> so, so I can keep us a little further away from the speakers, and uh, it doesn't feel like we're at the front row of a Dave Matthews concert. It sounds like we're in the parking lot. We got. Uh, we did not get very good tickets. No, we are in the lawn at the mm-hmm. outdoor venue. Yeah, 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 or the berm, if you will. <laughs> the berm. Yes. Now, have you have you ever used the word berm outside of the context of a baseball park where? I should say the the word is used frequently, <laughs> in, in particular in, in spring training. Yeah, yes, many berms and uh, yeah, I haven't. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't recollect using the, the noun very often. The, 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 now, have you ever used it in the context of spring training? However, I'm trying to think. I don't. I can't say that I have. Have oh, you? Okay. Have you frequently used bird in baseball context for? Well, yes, at spring training games everywhere. In fact, I believe let's see, you're at PNC Park right now, right? Oh yeah. And uh, they're playing the Brewers of Milwaukee. Is that right? They are. Yeah. Uh, I I've been to a number of games at their park in Maryvale. Um, oh. uh, in in Arizona, in Phoenix. Or Phoenix and the surroundings. I actually might be part of the city proper. Anyway, uh, Maryvale Park has a berm. As I can, I can also guarantee you that salt, um, whatever the salt one is, that salt, is home. Salt Fork, Salt River, something. Salt, yeah, Salt River, something. Uh, that one, which which houses the the Rockies and the Diamondbacks. Salt River Fields. So you talking at, uh, talking at, stick. At talking stick. At talking yes. stick. Yeah. yeah, that sounds. It's, it sounds close enough as to be plausible. Yeah, yeah and uh, there's mention of berm far and wide there. Yeah. Well, I've, most of my spring training experience has been, actually all of it's been in the Grapefruit League. I don't know if there's quite as many berms. I think there might be a dearth of berms. <laughs> you, might, you might not find as many berms. But, it's, yeah. but it's, it's funny because, I don't know if it's funny. What I mean to say is it's, it's notable insofar as Berm is not a word that I encounter uh, really anywhere else besides is besides baseball, and I'm sure berms do exist elsewhere. But perhaps they do exist at a Dave Matthews concert. Is my point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like how yeah we I like how you arrived 
how we how we've arrived at this juncture of this conversation. Well done, well done. Yeah, and I well, I'm a, a what? No, what are you doing there today? Who are you? Are you there? Are you? Do you have your designs on anyone in particular? Because as as we say, as you noted, uh, you frequently uh, will record in a forest glade near your house. I will. Uh, but you are not doing that today. You're recording in a, a, a sort of man-made pastoral setting. I think that's what uh, that's what baseball is always interesting, of course, because it brings the pastoral to the urban. Right there is the <laughs> there is the tension between being <laughs> and becoming, <laughs> as a as George Will I think would probably uh, suggest. But um, but he, here you are in, in a different yeah, in a different sort of as I say, manufactured pastoral setting. And, but, a, uh, but a lovely one. I am yeah, a lovely out one. Across the Allegheny River, the three sister bridges that you see mm-hmm. beyond the center field wall. Now, did you go? Did you leave from? Did you take in the the light rail next to the strange white house uh, that we? <laughs> of course, the last time we spoke, we did a we did a brief uh, Google map tour of uh, what Mount Lebanon is that right? That is correct. And uh, we played the game. Has Travis Sochik been there? <laughs> uh, and so I'm curious, did you did you did you take the light rail? Have you seen the White House recently? Have you reached any conclusions about it? <laughs> I did not. However, we took the light rail to a game Sunday. And okay. I, I took my son Samuel along with my wife, his mother also, <laughs> and his grandparents mm-hmm. uh, to a game. We took the light rail and it was quite nice. And then Sunday Sundays after the game. Uh, kids can run the bases. Okay, yeah. And I'd always, because I had been a beat writer covering the Pirates, and I'd, I'd noticed on Sunday afternoons after I would go down post game for interviews and come back up and start writing uh, the game story, there were always kids running the bases. And it never occurred to me how many kids were actually running the bases, why they were still running the bases 60 minutes after the game ended. Mm-hmm. And that's because the line stretched out, almost out of the ballpark. I was. <laughs> It was a little humid, it was a little warm, and I was a little disappointed to see the, the, the length of the line. Yeah. But, but it was worth it to just watch Sam run the bases. Now, I believe you might have shared uh, some video of that via a social media platform of some type. Is that I, right? I did. I, I try to keep my personal life out of mm-hmm. Twitter for the most part, but I thought two worlds colliding here, Sam yeah. and on Major League Baseball field. Uh, and it was kind of cute, I thought, too. Mm-hmm. And... You know, was I was also curious, was this being tracked by Statcast? So I reached out to the authorities. Oh, that's right. Yeah. That's right. Now, he did, uh, Sam, uh, your son, appeared to exhibit what I would consider less than 100% interest in taking a direct route to yeah. home plate. The route efficiency was lacking. Yeah, right. And, and rarely sprint. do we see route efficiency <laughs> used in, in base running, although I'm sure that there are some runners. Just like last year, do you remember how last year... It became obvious uh, because of Javier Baez's exploits that tagging was some kind of skill. Yes. Uh, it's something uh, certainly I had never considered before. Not that I'm a great litmus test for this sort of thing. But then all of a sudden it became possible to, you know, I became more aware of the tag. I, I suppose that routes, route efficiency as a base runner could, uh, there, there could be something there. I assume it does not add much value, but... Um, it certainly can detract from value, and, and I think your son has. Well, he. It's say it's a steep learning curve ahead of him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, there probably is a, some value to be had, as because as Sam demonstrates, there are degrees of efficiency when it comes to, to routing bases. Right. Uh, yeah, 
But yeah, I would assume most, sort of like a NASCAR track, I think most cars are probably on a generally efficient route mm. around the path. Do you understand NASCAR beyond the statement that you've just made? No. No, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. I don't want to worry you, Carson, but I, <laughs> I don't. Well, but I do know there is a most efficient route around the track. There must be. Yeah. And I assume that there's some. I don't know what the. I don't know what the metrics regarding NASCAR. I don't know how thoroughly developed they are, if they exist at all. I assume that it's of some interest to the teams running it. I have some little familiarity with NASCAR because until this year, um, a NASCAR, uh, an annual race, if not two, has been run at New Hampshire International Speedway. And of course, I'm a, uh, I'm a native of New, New Hampshire. And actually, when it was. Um, First installed, I actually worked a couple weekends at New Hampshire International Speedway in Loudoun, oh, New wow. Hampshire. Yeah, yeah, and uh, I worked in uh, various vending situations, selling oh. shirts and tees. Um, uh, to some people who were not wearing a shirt to begin with, <laughs> and this was their, this was their introduction to it. So I think everyone won in, in those particular transactions. How would you rate that experience? Learning, experience, learning, <laughs> educational. Yeah, it yeah. was as I mentioned. Uh, I didn't have a car, so my dad had to drive me out in the morning, and then come back and get me at night. And there was horrible traffic both ways because this is somewhat, as a you know, kind of a rural New Hampshire road, and there's only one way in and one way out. Right. So, I d- I'm, to the degree that he was teaching me a lesson, I think he probably, or you know, that I was learning a lesson about work. I think he embraced it but I don't I think that there came there was some some opportunity cost attached to it for him <laughs> the collateral damage I don't yeah. know what it, I don't know if either of those terms apply maybe they both half apply yeah, so yeah I, I don't I don't think that uh, he particularly loved it but I did I did and so I knew a little bit about NASCAR but I know nothing of NASCAR related metrics yeah. and, uh, I don't think in New Hampshire is NASCAR country but no I, I guess I'm mistaken yeah Although, although, with regard to Pittsburgh, I, I don't know if Pittsburgh itself is um, NASCAR country, but I do know that uh, that um, bald uh, human reptile James Carville <laughs> has uh, has suggested that there is uh, that in between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, there's a lot of Alabama. <laughs> uh, I think that's true, but I think that's probably true of many places between. Yeah, metro that's probably areas. just a way to characterize. Rural areas in the uh, United States. Yeah, and that's yeah. not to say everything about Alabama is uh, not desirable. I didn't say that. Yeah. You're the one you clearly <laughs> in, in, implied and inferred it. <laughs> well, I, I just want to be clear that I don't believe it's completely negative connotation. No, uh, and I, nor do I. I never, I never said such a thing. I never said such a thing, Travis Sutcher. Allow me to allow me to interject here, though, and is that. Um, uh, you might be aware, you might not listen to, but you might be aware that um, uh, roughly once a month. Now, you appear on a fortnightly basis. We know that. You have a regular southerner. <laughs> I do. Dane Perry, Dane Perry yeah. who is a Mississippi native, uh, appears once a, uh, once a month. And he has, <clears throat> he has a special reserve of vitriol uh, uh, for the people of and the state of Mississippi. No, 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 not Mississippi. Sorry, Alabama. Mm. So he would actually, he would actually, uh, if one were to suggest that a an area resembled Alabama, he would, he would feel some enmity towards it. Is what I mean to say. I understand. Yes. 
Okay, you are at PNC, famous PNC Park. I am. And uh, again, let, let me let me return to a question that I uh, that I asked earlier. Why? Who are you going to speak with, or who have you spoken with? Well, today I spoke with Jimmy Nelson, the uh, the sort of mid lane major league starting pitcher turn. Ace, right? It's our, yeah. it's our own Jeff Sullivan documented earlier this year. And yeah, he's really found a new level, and I was kind of curious to see if there's a, is there a change in process behind the results as, you know, that, as I'm often curious about. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we, we have a, a lot of rich data available to us at Fangraphs and other places like Baseball Savant, but I, it doesn't always come complete the picture. We don't always understand the intent, leaving two changes, so I like to fill in the blank sometimes, and I, I don't want to spoil this piece. Okay, yeah. <laughs> but yeah well, don't I, worry, this is not going up to me. It was an interesting yeah. conversation. Okay. There, There is intent. There is, there are things he is doing differently that he believes are leading to to this breakout, and uh, yeah, he's, he's a big reason why the Brewers are in first place. Uh, uh, interesting to note, Jimmy Nelson, a product of the University of Alabama. Hey, I, I'm sensing a theme developing. If you would like to tie this into a bow, um, it's not we're not done yet, but I would like to say that yeah, he was drafted. I think he was a third round draftee. I could be wrong about that, but I don't. I don't think that his. I don't think that success was um, was obvious. I don't think major league success, especially to the degree that he's experienced it this year, was obvious for Jimmy Nelson. No, it's uh, it's it's a, one of the great surprise stories of the year. I mean, just as the Brewers are, it, it wasn't obvious. He wasn't on a lot of breakout lists that I'm aware of. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like being surprised. It's one of the great things about this game. It surprises us. So, Jimmy, why are you surprising us? That was really why I approached him. So, uh, what are the? You don't have to. Uh, you don't have to pursue it. Like, but I am actually curious, just for the moment. Uh, and perhaps this is this will merely be an opportunity for you to parrot Jeff Sullivan's work. Uh, but what what is he doing differently? I mean, what is like what? How are the results different? They must there must right. be something different about the process. Yeah, uh, as Jeff noted, yeah, he's really sort of a lot more strikes, which is a good place to start. Yeah, uh, and he is able to. I think it really begins with his, as he says, he's able to locate to. The glove side and arm side, the inside, the out, uh, much better than he has in past years. And he believes it's because he's developed a more uh, efficient delivery from from his left. He has a stronger base, and he's more direct to home plate. It's not going to be on balance. Um, he changes whole offseason workout. He's one of these guys doing Pilates. I, I don't want to give away the whole story, but mm-hmm. it is... That is the root of his breakout, he believes, is he's developed this stronger base, more efficient path to home plate, and he's always, he says he's always been ex- interested in the, uh, kind of the kinetic chain that is a pitching delivery in the body, and, mm-hmm. uh, he, and he noted that his mom is a physical therapist, so he's, I guess he's kind of exposed to this in his youth, and he's always been interested in it, and he's, his teammates tell him to shut up about it sometimes, but he, he's very interested in the, the, those kinetic aspects of the delivery. So, yeah, he's he was it was actually a pretty interesting interview. There does seem to be, and perhaps it's merely because uh, Travis Sochik is so talented 
at extracting it mm. from players. That, this must be this must be it. This must be it. Well, according to Travis Sotrick, Travis Sotrick is is one of the greats. <laughs> what uh, there does see you, if nothing else, you do seem to identify or you seem to find players who, when they're experiencing a sort a breakout like this, <clears throat> who exhibit some there's some there seems to be some kernel of curiosity or willingness to adapt that's something that you know where they're essentially they they're compelled to develop on their own and learn more about themselves i think that uh great uh, uh, great spiritual minds uh, from um, from saint ignatius of loyola all the way up to ralph waldo emerson <laughs> uh, I, I, like where you're, I like where you're going travis Continue. <clears throat> And let's not forget uh, Marcel Proust, who say that uh, the objective of life, the object of life, is to become as much like ourselves as possible, right? Um, I think that uh, um, uh, Ralph, Ralph, Waldo, Ralph Waldo Emerson characterizes it as obedience, but when he talks about obedience, he merely speaks of obeying oneself. Um, a- Abraham Maslow spoke about it in similar terms, uh, modern psychologist, uh, self-actualization. And uh, who else? Uh, oh, and Proust. Yeah, Proust defined it uh, as the uh, devoir, D-E-V-O-I-R. That's French for essentially obligation or duty. But essentially, um, I, um, detecting one's detecting one's obligation or duty as a as a sort of uh, spiritual mandate that uh, it is our object, it is our duty to become as much like ourselves as possible. And so when you when you bring up something like this. Um, and you've done it before, but with uh, uh, with Jimmy Nelson, where he said, where essentially there's this thing in his background, right, that his mom is a physical therapist, and that somehow that that creates a, a current, uh, that creates a, th- a thread, and he can kind of tug on that thread and follow it, and and it it provides him it provides him answers and it provides him ways to think about himself and his development that ultimately make him better. Hey. There's no question at the end. I'm just making assertions. <laughs> These are wonderful assertions. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, look, I knew nothing about Nelson's background, so I'm glad he was uh, somewhat open and candid. And it, it is interesting. But this, I, it's, this idea you're articulating is it sort of like finding a, uh, I don't know if calling is the right word, a true self. Vocation? Yeah, sure, v- a vocation. That's another. That's another term, which is literally a calling, but it's, it's, uh, something to which one is called. Is is that what you are articulating? You referencing sure. all these great minds and philosophers and uh, thinkers. Yeah. Yes. Thinkers, thinkers, and stinkers. The uh, uh, yeah, I suppose that's it. But but the, the idea is that um, one to, to maximize gifts, I guess. Also, right, fulfill one's talents. And, Right, and you, the idea is that you can only use the sort of raw material of your own life to do it. You know what I mean? You can't, uh, you, you can't, if you know, if you're if you're Jimmy Nelson, you grew up and your mom's a physical therapist. Like that's part of your raw material, but you can't borrow from someone else's. Uh, you can't borrow someone else's raw material. You know what I mean? Right. It's, uh, you have to you have to go into yourself essentially, and that's that's part of it. Yeah, no, I, I like uh, whether it's J.D. Martinez or Jimmy Nelson or Justin Turner, 
mm-hmm. Daniel Murphy, I am interested in, for whatever reason, I just like these guys who, um, they were not always stars, they had to really search. Eric Thames, um, mm-hmm. another example, they, they really had to search and find answers and self-improvement in order to fill their potential. And I don't know, for some reason I am drawn to those stories, I find them interesting and they're they're also uh, uh, we are a we are a data based website. And look, analytics are great. I appreciate the numbers as much as anyone. I think, but mm-hmm. these are still human beings, and I think uh, when you can tap into certain things or understand them, uh, yeah, just like I think teams, you, you want to understand your players and how to get more out of them, and what what kind of guys have the best makeup, what. What are, the, what are the types of players you can extract the most out of or who can improve? Uh, I don't know that you can quantify that. You just kind of have to know who, what the personality types are in the background. So, so some of the soft science, the soft side of the sport, I find interesting too. Yeah. And this is a story that kind of melds the analytical and the human element together. And I don't know. I, I find that's an interesting place to be as a writer. Well, you know, you, you did something... Along these lines, actually, with Travis Shaw, not Travis... Well, if you combine your names, you'd be Travis Shawchuk. I don't know if that's escaped you or not, but uh, you wrote about Travis Shaw for today and Monday. No, today, Tuesday. Yes. And <clears throat> what uh, the Travis Shaw piece reveals something else that's uh, about the... this, uh, I guess, simultaneously fascinating and or de- defective about the human mind, <laughs> which is, uh, you note... That simultaneously, Travis Shaw's uh, ground ball rate has only increased. He's putting more batted balls on the ground, but the quality of his contact in the air has improved. Are those those are both true s- statements? They are. Right. And <clears throat> when you talk to Shaw himself, his explanation uh, explains or is, is serves as a, as an adept, if somewhat unexpected, answer, which is. When he visualizes himself, and I think that's an appropriate term to use, when he visualizes himself hitting the ball on the ground, the results are better for him. Yes. It's not, necess- it's, it's not necessarily that he's thriving by putting the ball on the ground more often, but something about the output from when his, when, from when his brain tells his body what to do. When his brain sell, tells his body, attempt to hit it on the ground... The results in the air are better. Isn't that true? Yeah, it's 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 a curious thing, and I don't know that. And he hasn't become an extreme ground ball hitter. It's just that his rates are are up from what they have been. I I think his ground ball to fly ball is like one point two, where traditionally he's point eight or so. But and I don't think that uh, what he's articulating. What he's feeling, someone else might explain it in a different way. Uh, and he is, he is, cru- whatever he's doing, he's crushing the low pitch that, in the lower third and just below the strike zone. He's, he's excelled there this year. And I created a couple, uh, gifs, gifs. Oh yeah, you did. I did. And to just kind of show that location and the swing. And he's created this swing that is hammering the low pitch, that is producing more ground balls, but as you note, also better contact when the ball is put in the air. And I think Freddie Freeman, I think Eno wrote about Freddie Freeman's batting practice routine and these, he tries to do something similar, hitting 
low hard contact towards yes. uh, the shortstop side. So, but I'm not. Maybe if, I don't know if Freeman articulates the same way. Uh, some of the things that Shaw said, I don't think were completely different than what JD Martinez said. Uh, but some of the process is undoubtedly different. But I think it's interesting that, uh, yeah, maybe he's explaining something. How do we? How does our mind uh, understand an idea? You know, we, yeah. And might, how do we? Might, and how do we visualize it differently or articulate it differently? Precisely, uh, because you need to have you, you visualize it, but that's but then you and then essentially each one of you know, uh, well in this case Shaw is responsible for translating that message to his body, right? Yes. So he knows that when he thinks about the process in a certain way, he re, he arrives at this outcome. I, I was first introduced to this, I don't know, maybe a decade ago, um, by a friend of mine who played golf, I think, and he used the term swing thought. Are you familiar with that? A I swing am, thought? I don't believe I am. It's actually, I mean, it's obviously entirely relevant to this conversation, but it, because it uses the word swing. This is for golf, where in, in golf, you know that you have to, um, you know, uh, you know that you have to strike the ball in a certain way. But if your body is going to have natural biases, right? Whether whether it's uh, um, what is it called when you slice it or you you, you hook it, a hook or or you yes. I don't know you you hit it uh, you top it or you hit it hit, you hit it underneath. I don't know all the golf terms. My point is that you can essentially comp the swing thought is designed essentially to um, compensate for your body's biases by translating. By translating, um, or, you know, by by representing a, a way of approaching the stroke, given your own set of limitations, and it sounds like that's what Shaw is doing, right? Like he's like, well, I have to explain it to myself this way, and so I arrive at that. So maybe actually, the result is something not not dissimilar from uh, JD Martinez's swing, uh, but the the way he ex- has to explain it to himself is different. Yeah. No, I think. Uh, I think you're onto something, and mm-hmm. yeah, because Shaw said he didn't do much hitting. He actually did less hitting this offseason. He lives in Fort Myers, uh, and he used to train the, the Red Sox there, but I don't think he was welcomed anymore. After he was, I don't think Brewers can train there in the offseason, so he didn't do as much hitting. And he said he didn't really make any mechanical changes. I think his leg kick is uh, maybe a little less dramatic. I'm not sure if it's less or more, but he said basically, yeah, no, no major makeover. But it's a swing thought. It's just kind of his thought process uh, that he that he think has improved him. And he said he's trying to keep the barrel in the zone, the hitting zone, longer, which is exactly what JD Martinez is doing. Uh, right. Uh, and what's interesting about Martinez, and I, I, I had I had never bothered to look this up uh, because I assumed I knew the answer, but. <clears throat> You know, Martinez's ground ball rate actually isn't particularly low. That's right. It's about. It's, I think it's similar to Shaw. Actually, I think they have similar ground ball rates. Right, and they're they're low forties. Maybe does that sound right? In which, it, if you imagine certainly, like that's nowhere near the not that anyone's near uh, the Ryan Schimpf zone. But even, <laughs> but among um, but among these players who have, um, you know purposely altered their swings, you do see, you tend to see uh, lower figures. For example, Yonder Alonso right now, um, who's uh, obviously 
obviously he's uh, one of the first names um, that occurs to one at this point because he's changed entirely from his career up till now, right? Right. And uh, of course he's hitting way more homers. He's al- he's almost hit half of his career home runs this year. Um, but uh, uh, one thing he's done is he's dramatically reduced his ground ball rate. It used to be in the mid 40s. Now it's a now it's just above 30%. Yeah. It's like a 15-point decrease, right? Right. Shaw, uh, or J.D. Martinez is roughly, you know... He's at 41.6% Yeah, this year, ball. right. And, that's, and that's his, career, his career rate his career rate is 41.4. Right. It so is. that's like within, uh, that's like within uh, you know, shouting distance of average. I think average is usually 44, 45, something like that. But, it's but again... It, the idea is maximizing the production on contact. That's the idea. Right. Yeah. And J.D. Martinez. I know we don't hard contact percentages imperfect, but I think the Martinez case, it, you know, it, it helps us understand that while his batted ball ratios might not have changed, the quality of contact has improved. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe the Shaw case is, is similar. Yeah. Now, listen... Travis. Yes. Travis Travis Shachik. Yes. We've reached the 30-minute mark, and I had uh, I had sort of promised myself that I would attempt to wait 30 minutes before I got around to the most relevant topic. Oh, I thought you were going to excuse yourself. No, <laughs> no, no. No, there's no... No, I mean, there, I should excuse my behavior of what's to follow. But you're aware... Uh, Listeners might not be aware that I have that I recently, within the last couple of weeks, joined the BBWA what it, uh, Hardball Dynasty League. <laughs> you have. I yeah. feel re- I feel mostly, partially, maybe mostly responsible for this. Too. Yeah, yeah, you should. Do, do you do you know? I mean, uh, I'm glad I haven't timed it, but I've dedicated what I'm going to characterize as too much time uh, to the to the. Uh, reconstruction of my team's roster. I've been I there. Perf- I've been there, man. I performed a number of uh, trades. Some some of them high profile. Yes. Uh, Don Crane. Don, you traded Don Crane I, to my division. Into your division, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now, so so here's the thing. So of course I came to this, it, and these are just all the names are just generated, right? Mm-hmm. So they're all vaguely familiar because I think they're actually. They're actually um, drawn from the what, actual player pool of that. That is true. Major and minor leagues, whatever. But um, and there are some good names out there. Some great names. Uh, yeah, there's yeah. some good names. Um, Don Crane, native of White, <laughs> native native of Islip, New York, home to uh, I think Long Island's most prominent airport, Islip. Um, it's a computer-generated person. He's not a. He's just a. There's he's not a person. There's an image of him, a, fa- a fake, cartoonish image, of Don Crane, and yet I invested multiple hours. Um, I think we got a little dire, dire straits going on. This, which is great. I'm glad. Um, <clears throat> I cannot control the soundtrack. Yeah. No, I understand. For better, for um, worse. What? Uh, so, so he didn't mean something to me. Has Don Crane, who was on my team, the Hartford Disappointments? I kept the team in Hartford. I didn't want to wrench them away from the people there. I mean, you know, we only get seventy. We only have a maximum capacity of seventy five hundred at our stadium. 
But it was important uh, to me to not to um, alienate the people of Hartford, Connecticut. This clearly isn't a business for you. This is a passion. Yeah. <laughs> this is right. It is. Yeah, and I feel uh, feel as though I have to be a uh, you're a, steward a magnanimous of some sort. owner. Very yeah. Yes, yeah. you are. Um, what is Don? What do you know about Don Crane? What what is it? What has he meant to the league thus far? You know, before I arrived, I think we're in season forty-four now. Yeah, I've and I've been around since thirty-six. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. So what is the significance of Don Crane to this league? Uh, one of the premier <laughs> left, left, left-handed hitters of this league. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, eight seventy-two career OPS. That's really good. You checking out Don Crane's? I am. Uh, How did you find it so quickly? What do you What do you use to find that? Is there a search function? You could go by team depth charts. I usually just go to the standings, click on the team, and then the roster comes up. Oh, you already knew what team? Oh. What team What team did I trade him to? Chicago? or so, what, okay. Where did I go? You traded them to a division rival. Uh, you Who should... Did you, you, con- we, did you consider the season 34 standings before making this trade? Season 34 standings or 43? Or 43, sorry. No, Just, I didn't. Uh... Uh, oh, did I trade him to the Chicago American Giants? You did. You okay, did. are we? Are you allowed to reveal uh, the? Its uh, owner is Justin Doom. This is not the the owner's real name. Are you? Do you? No, this is the owner's real name. Oh, it is. So this I just revealed Justin. it. Yes. <laughs> Who's Justin Doom? He he's a nice guy. He lives in Brooklyn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, is he is he a baseball writer? Is he? Uh, he used. I live in Arizona, and okay. he and Nick Piacoro, who's the uh, you know, the, the the greatest <laughs> living owner in Hartfall Dynasty history, and who is uh, who I think he has six world titles yeah. in this league. They are friends, so I think that's how okay. Justin joined this league, and now he works and lives in Brooklyn. Uh, <laughs> I saw him out a few weeks ago. Actually, I had a weekend tr- excursion to New York, and. Mm-hmm. Late in the evening, we crossed paths in a, I don't even remember the name of the bar, but yeah, it was, it was, it's, it's nice to interact with. Anyways, good guy. Yeah, okay, good. So I was, yeah, so, so I, I, I very much like Justin in person and, and our text thread, but I do not love that Don Crane is now one of his assets because I have to compete with him. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a, it was a one for five trade. It, um. it was. I mean, it means, you're, I don't know if you're rebuilding or trying to do both, but uh, it would make sense to with two years of control. Mm-hmm. It, it's a good time to to trade a player like Crane, uh, yeah. and, and we don't know if he'll resign and he'll be on hitters start declining in their thirties pretty significantly. Yeah. So, yeah, Don Crane was, was, that a, Crane. was that a difficult decision for you, or were you committed to? No, I had no attachment to Don yeah. Crane, and honestly, I felt as though his, his defensive numbers were not particularly good. Um, and I felt as though, uh, I felt, I felt like I could replace Don Crane, or at least uh, approximate it. You know what I mean? Yeah, now, you know? yeah, I, I think that, that's fair. He's not a great defender, not a great base runner. Yeah. And have you seen our old friend, uh, August? He, he has created war spreadsheets for the entire league. That's right. Yeah. Are you yeah, familiar? Ar- do you know what Don Crane was worth? I do. I believe he was worth 3.0 wins last year. Yeah, and in season 42, I saved that spreadsheet too. Well, will uh, you send that spreadsheet to me? Yeah, he was sure. Well, how much? How many wins was he worth then? I think it was 2.9. Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I think I can get that. Now, do you do you want to know? We we were talking about names. Here's an interesting fact about uh, about the BBWA Hardball Dynasty League. Travis Sachek. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I received one of the five players I received in that deal with Justin Doom. Yes. Uh, uh, owner and and GM and manager of Chicago American Giants. One of the players was named Chris Winston. Okay. It, it seemed like he was the key to the deal. He was part of it. I got a lot of good pieces. I'm happy with it. You're happy. Hall. Yeah. Um, actually, I believe Pepe Amaro was a little bit. He's going to come into his own. Pepe Amaro. So watch out for. Or was Pepe, Pepe was the key? Pepe Amaro. They were all keys. Okay. They're all. I we, we had a we had a lot of back to back and forth on this. All right. what, what Too was, much. <laughs> Um, one of the players I acquired was Chris Winston. Just days before, I had acquired via the waiver wire another player named Chris Winston, <laughs> who had also played last season, or had just been waived by the Chicago American Giants. Which means both Chris Winstons played for the Chicago American Giants last year. It's a by very. By uh, and I have acquired them by different means, and now the Chris, the Chris's Winston, to use the plural, the Chris's Winston have been reunited, in the Hartford disappointments. That's so. uh, yeah. I guess SI is coming in to do a story about this. Uh, it's, it's, it's wonderful. It is. It's disgusting. The the my attention attention I've given this, and you know I asked you some. I asked you, I think, some tough questions, uh, Travis, when in, in previous times we've discussed this, especially when you were on the verge of your world championship as um, as owner, GM, and manager of uh, Montreal Sacre Bleu. I asked you some tough questions, like, did you wake up at 3 o'clock to look at the results of this particular game? Um, and I answer them as truthfully and honestly, as, honestly as I could. You did, but... Uh, the only reason I knew to ask you those questions is because what I had done and what I endeavored to do at all times is to make a study of my own my own impulses, my own biases, right? And in making a study of my own impulses, I knew that I would be the sort of person who, knowing that the AM cycle had, had passed, would, um, would ex- you know, would excitedly, frantically check... Uh, the results from that particular cycle, and I can I can report uh, now a week or two into it uh, that, that I am guilty of that entirely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I think most people uh, would operate in the manner that you did. Do you think so? And I've been guilty of. Uh, I believe the draft always takes place at the three a.m. cycle. Mm-hmm. I've been guilty. Uh, well, I was on the road in Chicago, so it was really just two a.m. So. Okay, I, I was Neither still I was still awake. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I was up for that. Uh, but yeah, the, the amount of self control it took to not look at that seven a.m. or the game seven box score. Yeah. At I think I woke up at like five thirty, knowing that my fate awaited me. And that yeah, and you waited hours. I did. I I went back to sleep. Remarkably. Uh, How did you do it? What's what what? Uh, I was actually I've been reading. Um, last few days, I've been quite a bit about Stoicism. I've been reading some of the works of Epictetus, noted Roman Stoic, 
I've been listening to what I would consider, uh, and this is, I rarely, uh, because I'm, I'm, I mostly endorse my own work, the most self-endorsement, self-promotion, uh, but I would like to endorse the um, Good Fortune, a stoic podcast, uh, uh, made by an erudite young man. I don't know how young he is. He's a father, so he can't be quite, he can't be that young. Uh, but it's an excellent <laughs> podcast. And um, uh, he, he, is able to elaborate on stoicism, provide illustrative examples, etc. Um, but one of you know there is there is a bit of uh, self self restraint and, and certainly attention attention to one's own uh, self is is um, paramount in stoicism and um, and and I marvel at your ability at your restraint um, you know, preventing yourself from <laughs> checking. I well, wonder what you. what, uh, what uh, mechanisms did you use? What what um, you know? What spiritual exercises did you perform to be able to do that? Well, I think part of it is having a, you know a father to a young child and understanding the importance of sleep, which mm-hmm. becomes uh, you have less control over when it can occur, yeah. and you place a greater value upon it. Uh, so I think that is part of it. Uh, but if, stoic, if stoicism is apparently the <laughs> the endurance of pain or hardship without display of feelings. Without no, 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 no. So, so that is that's lower case s stoicism. Oh, yeah. This is not the uh, ancient philosophy stoicism, capital S stoicism. Yeah, it's it's emper- it's entered into our language in a. Uh, so am I, am I not understanding stoicism correctly? Well, no. I'm, I'm sure you are. You Stoic- stoicism is restraint. Stoicism is a is a is an ancient philosophy um, practiced probably most notably by uh, well Epictetus I mentioned uh, his his work uh, discourses is is notable and then there's the um, Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius who wrote Meditations he was a practicing Stoic and one of one of Rome's great emperors and then probably um, Seneca is the most is the third most noted Stoic. So this is a school that taught that virtue is the highest good. There, yeah, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that would be. Uh, although that's uh, is that a bit of a, um, a, a tautological expression to say that virtue is good? I think because virtue is a thing that we declare as good, right? So, but yeah, sure, I, I'm sure that's partially. I don't know if that's how all school. All practitioners of Stoicism would phrase it, um, but this isn't our, our definition that we use in common usage today. Is it? Is it based on that school? That school is, of philosophy founded in Athens by, you know. <laughs> <laughs> for example. Uh, yeah, it is. So yes, just like the word Epicurean. How, how do you? Th- when I say the word Epicurean, what do you think of? Epicurean delights. Sure. Un, unbridled uh, consumption of pleasure or pursuit of pleasure. Epicurean is typically how it's used. But that is not what that that's different from Epicurean philosophy. Those uh, just like Stoic, it's uh, sort of a um, it's a shorthand uh, a shorthand maybe characterization of those particular philosophies. Uh, but hardly nuanced is how I would say. Yeah. 
Is that is that helping you at all? It is. I one reason I love coming on this show is this podcast. Yeah. This program. Yeah. Is the education. It is a program. Yeah. The education I receive. Yeah. So basically, here's the root of stoicism: is <clears throat> dividing into dividing the world into two categories. Uh, those those things or actions or events or feelings over which you exert control and then those things over which you exert no control, right? So you cannot control you cannot control your level of fame. You can't you can't really control it. You know, or or probably more accurately, you can't control how people perceive you. You can only control your own conduct. Now, that's possible that ha- that your conduct will to some degree influence how people perceive you. But ultimately, you have no control over it. So what do you focus on? You focus on how you respond to impressions, the, you know, to the world as it comes at you, right? Right. If you right. find you or if you find uh, that you are ill, Travis, do you rend your garments and do you weep into your to your beard, or? Do you say, well, I cannot necessarily control this. I will pursue the, the, the um, treatments that are avail- available to me, but I will not cower and I will not whimper simply because this has befallen me because I have no control over it. I, will, I can only control my conduct in the face of this misfortune. Well, That's I, what I, yeah, and I'm not sure I've mastered that. <laughs> No, I don't think. But I, I will but say, yeah, the, the results are beyond my control. Right. But and I actually, was going to be very upset with a loss. And I think we've discussed before how I think the feeling of victory... Uh, is mostly a sense of relief at having mostly, not lost. Yeah, so it's right. not as... On the spectrum of the deepness of feeling emotion, I think the loss would be more greatly felt. Uh, so, yeah, I, I am very pleased that I did not lose. Right. Well, so I have no intention of performing... Uh, any great feats to connect this to baseball. However, I will say that a lesson that I've learned, one of one of the earliest lessons I've learned from sabermetrics, but which is present in many of the, you know, certainly in, in um, stat, you know, uh, stats, the statistical sciences, is the is the idea is the separation of process from result, right? One uh, one only has a con- has control over the process. One does not have control over the result. Right. Um, Which helps keep you sane in some ways. You realize some things are out of your control, and you can do something perfectly and not see the end result. So, right. It's it's an important bedrock, I think. To right, and to and that is and this is a, this is a, a principle that is fundamental to stoicism as well, which is to say, um, you can you can. Uh, you can pursue let's see you can control your conduct right but you can't control the fortune or misfortune that befalls you so you just uh, essentially you're you should always endeavor to you know uh, behave behave admirably you know, and I'm not saying admirably necessarily the way that, like, in essentially in a way that you would admire, in a way that you would esteem. So that's the idea. It's a, it's essentially a process versus a result. Yeah. Um, 
Well, it's an admirable practice. Yeah, endeavor. sure. Endeavor. Sure. It is. Well, I will say that for, for those among us who contend with anxiety sometimes and who are not necessarily uh, and who lack all of the tools or at least who, who maybe for reasons of uh, genetics or uh, what's the other whatever the thing is that's not genetics <laughs> rearing <laughs> have a natural dis- uh, inclination towards anxiety uh, practices like uh, stoicism can be helpful because they say well what do I over what do I really have control and that's a good question to ask this should be yeah I mean this could and I think teams to loosely tie this back to yeah that's fine the, the sport we cover I, I Teams are trying to get players to understand that and not get too caught up in uh, traditional box score results. Mm-hmm. And even talking to players like Charlie Morton, who's very uh, much more sabermetrically inclined, inclined than most players way back in 2013, which feels like ancient times. Sometimes he was using pitch effects data. His dad was looking at it, he was going through rough spells. He was using that as a way to understand the process better, not go crazy when he gives up seven runs and two innings and you know thinks he's terrible so uh, yeah I th- there's something to the practice of the application of stoicism capital S capital S uh, in everyday life <laughs> any any profession whatever profession you've chosen yeah or when going to your 3am box score choosing to look at it or not to look at it or not to look yeah. at it yeah that's yes you know that Charlie Morton is currently uh, recording a career low ground ball rate. He's changed his profile a little bit. He has. He is also uh, he has also recorded what would be a career high strikeout rate by some uh, by some uh, distance. Um, not counting last year's 17 innings. Previous to that, his career high strikeout rate was 19%. He's currently at 26%. His stuff, yeah, it's interesting. His stuff has definitely taken a leap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I like, when Charlie's healthy in a good place, he's, he's really good. And I think the Astros did a nice job picking a risk on that contract and hopefully he stays healthy. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Great you know, he's really, he hasn't really changed his pitch mix very much. He's throwing his uh, his sinker the same amount as he usually does. Is this a location? It must be. It must be something like that. I don't know. Hey, Travis, I know yes. you're always looking for ideas. Yes. We might have stumbled upon one. Yeah. Maybe look at what's going on with Charlie Morton. You, and Chris, you have intimate knowledge. I mean, not, I'm not saying total intimate knowledge of Charlie Morton, but you <laughs> have some sort of relationship with him. We do. It would be and helpful. So, uh, yeah. Maybe we can arrange a phone interview. I don't know if the Astros are coming through town anytime soon. In fact, do you know, are you familiar, do you know that Char- that Travis Sochik wrote about Charlie Morton uh, May 17th of this year? Almost two months ago to the day. Hmm. Yeah, let's go back and revisit. What did I find? <laughs> you said that his electric stuff has never been more electric. <laughs> well, that's true. Yeah. I'm curious, Ed, what, did I write anything about location? I can't remember. Um, I'm not going to read the whole post. This is, right this is, I'm not I can't say on, this I'm not coming a, this off very well this segment. I'm not even recalling every, all the components of that article. I, I can't tell you this is yeah. well edited, what I'm, looking, what I'm looking at here. Yeah, look at that editing. Oh, yeah. Great editing. Oh, man. 
behind every successful writer is a great editor. Yeah, a smelly, smelly editor. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. Oh, God. I mean, it's too much, too much time. Too much time. Have you ever performed a... Did I ask you if you ever performed a multilinear regression? <laughs> with uh, with regard to Hardball Dynasty, you ever performed uh, any multilinear regression? I have not. I Maybe I should... Maybe you could help me. Or, uh... Mr. Zimmerman. Or... Yeah. Sean Doliner. Or, uh... Jonah. I could use some help. I don't think I have the... I don't think I have the requisite skills to do this. Maybe I could learn... So how do you know? How do you know what what uh, ratings you're looking for then? Because you seem to have done a, a good enough job identifying the ratings that lead to good performance on account of uh, on account of. Look at you! Won your world champion. I don't even know what I'm doing, but I I'm a world Bleu. champion. Yeah, yeah. Well, some of it is a lot of it's just learning what appears to correlate to success. Yeah, I think you probably yeah. eyeball some of it. I do, do a lot of uh, comps on different players that are successful and. That sort of thing. Do you think um, now? I think that you you agree you agree with me um, that that it, sometimes it's hard to distinguish between bravery, uh, Travis Sotrick, and foolhardiness. It's a fine line. It's right? a fine line. Right? Yes, yeah, it is. Now, would Some, you sometimes that's very the that distinction is pretty results dependent. I think it also. is right. <laughs> now, would you consider and some the results aren't in? <clears throat> I have resolved. Entering season 43 of the Hardball Dynasty League for the BBWA, I have resolved both to rebuild and to compete simultaneously. <laughs> Would you characterize my decision and my intent as brave or as foolhardy? Huh. Uh, <laughs> how, how about inspired? <laughs> I mean, generally, I think in a vacuum, you would ideally pick one path or another but I will say there are so many rebuilding teams in this world at the moment Mm -hmm. uh, that capturing playoff berth is perhaps not as difficult as it is in most seasons so you could endeavor to acquire get younger acquire some players with more controls and prospects and still compete if you have a uh, a good enough core for example the, the Chicago American Giants you traded Don Crane to yeah, thought they were going through a massive rebuild a couple of years ago, and then loaded some stars. And much the much Justin claims he was very surprised that his team, uh, still a ninety plus one team, still made the playoffs when mm-hmm. his intent was to rebuild. So, uh, yeah, I would say it is a <laughs> inspired choice, and I'll have to wait to to judge. We'll have to wait and see whether this was a brave or foolish decision. Because you, because it, that matters. The re- you think that's uh, is fully determined by the result. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's usually not smart in real life, and I would think that in a game in which, um, in which every team is limited to the same salary cap or overall budget, it would be even less wise because you all fa- everyone faces the same constraints more or less. I mean, generally, I think uh, teams benefit from doing this sort of disastrous type rebuild where you just tank multiple seasons, you mm-hmm. try to have as much cap space and international to, to go acquire young players, mm-hmm. prospects. But this is kind of an unusual environment that the league is in right now. 
or they're uh, well, there's a lot of rebuilding. It's tough to sell pieces because there's so many teams not wanting veterans. They just want cap space and prospects. Mm-hmm. So it's an opportunity to take advantage of that too. Yeah. No, I actually didn't. I actually have been. I don't know if I've forgotten or never knew the playoff structure. It's. I do know it's. It's. Uh, it's actually not dissimilar from the. Uh, uh, <clears throat> well, of course, you recently wrote about expansion. People love that topic. They do. I, and, well, I've, written, a, I've written about it twice, and, and I don't have many hundred plus comment stories that I've generated. Not that that is the metric of success necessarily, but it interest. indicates a certain level of. Engagement. Yes. And mm-hmm. both of those, or at least two of the three, have been about expansion, relocation, and realignment. People are people are very interested in the idea of uh, Major League's kind of game board. What is it going to look like? How would you organize it? People mm-hmm. love that. And I am guilty of being interested in it, too. Uh, yeah. And um, so so the league in, in Hardball Dynasty, it's... It's two leagues, American National, divided into four divisions of four teams each. And that's actually what you propose in your own real-life realignment, right? Or your own imagined hypothetical realignment for real-life baseball. Well, I think we are headed towards a... Uh, I think even Manfred is on record. Rob Manfred is on record. He's saying uh, if... If the game expands to 32 teams, it'll be eight divisions, four in each league, obviously. Uh, so yes, we're going to have a structure similar to Hardball Dynasty, and you would suspect <laughs> that would lead to perhaps another playoff berth, too, like Hardball Dynasty. Six playoff teams in each league, two first-round buys, four playing teams. I think we are headed to... Hardball Dynasty will only reflect real life more and more as, as we go forward. Right. Yeah, wait, wait, you have to ask yourself, what is reality and, and, and what is simulation? Yeah. Uh, Will Don Crane appear in <laughs> playing for one of the Chicago teams? If the game's played long enough, there'll probably be a Don Crane. Um, here's a, here's something I didn't, I, I ought to have followed, followed up on, and I haven't, but I would like to right now. I forget, I forget how, I forget what question I asked you to elicit this answer. But you suggested that it has happened at least once, if not on multiple occasions, that one of the writers who who is a member and participant of uh, BBWA, Hardball Dynasty League, has asked a real-life Major League manager about a player who does not exist in reality, (laughs) but who exists only in the game. This is true. That's true. And do you know on how many occasions it has occurred, or at least that you know of? I will protect the names of the, uh, <laughs> the guilty parties. I I know that it's occurred at least once in a post-game setting. Uh, and I believe it was in regard to Jose Quintana, who was just, of course, traded mm-hmm. in her life. And there's a question about Quintana. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to slip into calling him the wrong drugger. But, uh, yeah, and the, the reporter asked the manager about the game starting pitcher, only he referenced one of the Hardball Dynasty players. I believe Whose last guy. name was Quintana or not? Different last name. Um, okay, so. But, but it began with a. The family name began with a Q. 
So okay. there is a uh, a mix-up. There's so much investment that there's some crossover in real life. And uh, the, if the manager was puzzled, <laughs> yes. uh, uh-huh. and I believe the writer then collected himself and uh, <laughs> rephrased the question. So with the correct name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very humorous. That was a very humorous sample. An- and anecdote. were you present there or did you hear I was not. I, I heard the story retold. Uh, but yeah, I would have loved to have been there firsthand for that. Uh, and you know, I could easily be guilty of that too. I, uh, Which names, either present or past in the, uh, the Horrible Dynasty League, do you like remain with you? Are there any that you? Uh, are there any that you just sort of can't shed? <laughs> Some of the or great- that are on your team currently. Uh, one of the great players in this game was uh, Adam Langerhans, so his name sticks with me. Some right. of my own star players, like Donaldo Fernandez. That's, I think that's a lovely name. Donaldo Fernandez. Donaldo Fernandez. No, sounds- tell me about Adam Langerhans, because I think actually, just when I joined the league, someone made a comment to perhaps the league's um, administrator, I don't know what he call it, uh, uh, G- uh, commissioner. If Langerhans was an acceptable middle name for the child. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Hall of Fame, he was a star for the commissioner for a long time. And uh, he's probably still, I don't know if he's retired yet in the game. He, he might be in the minor league somewhere. But, uh, yeah, he's a great player, long history. Mm-hmm. Several people owned him at some points. He, he frustrated some owners who had him. As he his, his, his career fell off unexpectedly, but yeah, some names stick with you, uh, yeah. and these are all guys. All the names are generated from player list of of actual professional players. So uh, either you've heard of them at some point. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all I have. Of it. That's what, a lot of That's what I got. Well, that has been an hour, Travis an hour of delightful conversation with a soundtrack I would guess is the I don't know if you were to say <laughs> what the Spotify channel was I don't know who, who would be the starting band do you think as far as quite a variety 2000s pop and a yeah, little country a, yeah the, oh, if this was like the was it uh, Rascal Flats <laughs> What channel would this be on Sirius XM? This would be The Pulse? Oh, that last song would be The Pulse. Yeah. Yeah, General, you want to appeal to a wide audience. Yeah, you got to. Or not offend anyone, really. And not not offend anyone. Mm -hmm. Well, now we got a little little wham, it sounds like, in the back. (laughs) Isn't that that wham? Wake me up before you go, go, I believe. I I think people are missing the Glade. Uh, And I will return to the Glade. I, I hope mm-hmm. at some point. Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Now you uh, you left us with a, there was a plot development at the end of the last episode, and I think you had mentioned something about uh, real estate. Looking around, do you do you have any uh, anything that you'd like to reveal, or still playing tight to the vest at this oh, point? Oh well, America. <laughs> well, I've informed uh, the the two critical Daves of our website, so I feel like I can. Tell America yeah. that I, my wife has accepted a position 
in Cleveland, Ohio, my native my native land. And uh, so my wife is bringing me back to Cleveland, or at least that's the, the intent. There's still a house to sell, uh, and a house to hopefully purchase. Yeah. In Cleveland, but yes, we our intent is to relocate, uh, and it's it's sort of bittersweet because I've come to like Pittsburgh and uh, a lot of things about Pittsburgh, and we have a nice community. Sam, our two year old, is two and a half year old. Is this is where he was born and he experienced the first couple of years of his life. So it's a meaningful place. But but part of me has always wanted to. I've left. I last lived in the Cleveland area as a full-time resident in high school. So uh, yeah, part of me has always wanted to return and have a sense of community and feel like I... The journalism path has been a lot about leaving, going up market sizes and taking new jobs and a transient lifestyle. So I've sort of been curious to have a feeling of putting down roots and not intending to to move all the time. So I, I am curious to explore that. Uh, yeah. Should be quite an adventure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck on what, that what adventure. Do, what do you think about this decision? I think that it's, uh, it's <laughs> fine. I think that... Uh, uh, I understand. It's good that... Uh, it's, good, it's good that... I mean, it's definitely good for you uh, that your wife is... Uh, sounds like she has some uh, professional mobility... I believe there is more professional mobility for her in Which Ohio. Which will allow you, uh, I mean, because you, 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 your career is not sustainable. <laughs> right. You know? Uh, so so you're lucky. And, uh, yeah, sounds great. If everyone's happy with it. I I understand the moving away, saying goodbye could be difficult. Um, <clears throat> yeah, goodbyes are tough. Yeah. And, uh, well, luckily, I haven't. Luckily, I don't build, <laughs> build many deep and meaningful relationships with people, smart. so it's not yeah, so yeah. it's not that difficult. That's good. Yeah, yeah, that's good. You're huddling and scurrying everywhere. It's harder. It's harder to form human relationships. Uh, no, yeah, it's fine. I, I'm interested in your the process of selling your house. I will be interested in oh. monitoring that. I don't know anything about it. Uh, I've never. I've purchased two homes. I've never sold one. Uh, and I can say that it. It's, it's a little difficult being on the seller's end because you don't control much. You yeah. have to master stoicism. Uh, you, and you see it. Well, no, not master it. Practice it. Practice it. Practice yeah. it. Uh, yeah, stuff. You get, we've had, had an open house and the agent will get back with you and say, oh, these people are excited and interested and then they, it falls out or people complain about elements of the house and it's sort of offensive. Uh, so yeah, it's been. Well, interesting. Maybe would you like to uh, would you like to pitch anyone on your house right now? <laughs> <laughs> it, it is it a location, location, location. Well, we it's know in a great we location, know. as we know. But what is herded is that it does not have central air conditioning, and we are really sh- it really doesn't. And <laughs> no, no, that's the but that's the thing that yeah that gets people. And there's no first floor. Uh, bathroom restroom or powder room as it is sometimes called uh those have been two negatives and i think part of the issue is that it's been being shown in the heat and humidity of july in western pennsylvania so the the sensory experience of people walking into home is uh, one of 
being, uncom- being uncomfortable. So to remedy this, uh, oh, yeah. we I went out and bought an additional uh, AC. AC, mm-hmm. sort of a it's not a window unit; it's like a portable one that attaches to a window, but it's not fixed in the window. And we purposefully placed it in the condition that most efficiently cools the, the entryway and main living space in the first floor. Mm-hmm. So I think, yeah. I think there were benefits to doing that. You know, I want to say this. I think that, and I, I actually don't even mean to divide this up on gender lines. I do. What I would like to say is that there's no more dad activity than going out and buying an AC in the middle of summer. <laughs> that's like that's like only dads are allowed to perform that certain thing. Now, I'm not saying you have to be a man or or identify as male, but you do have to be a dad. Or just by virtue of doing it, you you become a dad along the way. <laughs> well, I guess I'm a dad now. You don't even need kids. Yeah, I have. I purchased our first two air conditioners. Actually, my wife purchased this one, mm-hmm. uh, and they're heavy, so she needed help to uh, transport. Well, you're the you're the guy to whom everyone turns <laughs> when things <laughs> right. When things but I, but I did I did separate I did take care of the the apparatus upon its delivery home. Yeah. Uh, so I did perform some of the the dad, husband related tasks. Uh, would you yeah. like to? Oh yeah. Would you? Sorry. Would you like to expand upon any of the virtues of your home that people can? It, it was built in 1930. It's, okay. It's a sort of so it's made out of wonderful uh, uh, materials: hardwood floors, plaster walls, brick exterior, uh, red tile roof. As you yeah. might see in, say, Florence, Italy. Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's basically right. like Florence. It's a uh, great high ceilings. Uh, it has charm. Wonderful sunroom. As you know from the podcast, you can walk everywhere that you need to, to get to in Mount Lebanon. Yeah, that's right. You can go uh, and you can go up to, uh, to Uptown Coffee. There's no school buses in Mount Lebanon. You can walk to every school. Uh, you can walk to Uptown Coffee. The saloon, the little white house, mysterious white house. So yeah, you can you can get it all. That's my sales pitch. Uh, sometimes I feel like I need to be selling the house because I can do it. Best. Maybe you could do it better. Yeah. Now, who took who took the photos for your, uh, you know, your 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 uh, Redfin page or whatever? Yeah, the real well, the real estate agent that sold us our house lives on our street. So oh, okay, yeah, yeah. she's. Uh, yeah, she took care of the listing. The thing is about listing a house, it has your house has to be in an immaculate condition during the process because you could have a showing at any time and you have to be able to, to leave relatively quickly. And So yeah, the house has been as clean as it's ever been and or, well, as well organized as it's ever been uh, during our stay there, which is, I don't know, why wouldn't we always choose to live this way? It even has... <laughs> Another air conditioner now. Why wouldn't we treat ourselves as, as well? Yes, that you guys stick around probably. Yeah. So I'll let you know how it goes. But uh, wait, didn't you? Don't you live on like a like what is it called? Like West Entrance Road or something? Park entrance. Park entrance. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There is a park at the top of the street. Bird Park. Trails, wooded area. Very nice. Uh, mm. It's had a fox gun before, so dangerous place. But uh, <laughs> yeah. 
So that's how, well, that's how I would sell the home. Someone hopefully will, will purchase it. I wish uh, the best of luck, of course. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, if you need to... Uh, I will practice name. stoicism. You go practice and, uh, some stoicism, buddy. I don't think I'll be able to help you at all. But. All right. Hey. Hey. Hey, Travis. This was fun. Yeah, thank you for joining me. Let's say let's say goodbye. Thank you so much, Travis Sochik, for uh, for participating in Fangraphs Audio. Thanks for having me, Carson. All right, that has been uh, Travis Sochik, the um, what was he, the prolific Travis Sochik. I'm Carson Sestouli, and this has been Fangraphs Audio.